We're in our series, uh, Monsters You, and we've been learning how to deal with some of the monsters in life. Uh, we're going to look at things like uh, the monster of anger, stress, adversity, things that kind of threaten to mess us up, and uh, they're monsters that we've got to learn to deal with in our lives. Now, last week we, we started, and we're kind of focusing on a core quality that it's really vital for dealing with any, any monsters in, in our lives. And we started by kind of dissecting and studying the anatomy of a thing called optimism. And uh, if you weren't here, I'd really encourage you to go online, uh, watch uh, Anatomy 101. But today what I want to do is welcome you to Anatomy 102. So um, this is part two. You know, the book uh, Undaunted Courage, it was written by uh, Steve Ambrose. And it's a book about the Lewis and Clark expedition during the early 1800s. And it follows a two-year journey of how they, they faced these unbelievable problems in their lives. They were in unfamiliar territory. They, they dealt with hunger and heat and exhaustion and fatigue they dealt with uh, morale issues. They had desertion take place. They were dealing with hostile enemies and serious illness. At one point, they, they even faced death. Uh, and after these, these two years, they finally reached the, the Continental Divide. And according to the best information that they had available to them, what they expected once they reached the Continental Divide was that they would have to carry their canoes and their gear about a half a day, and then they would come to the headwaters of the Columbia River, and it would give them really easy passage from there to the Pacific Ocean, and that's what they expected. So they get to the Continental Divide, Lewis leaves the team behind, he climbs to the top of the bluff, and he's going to look and see what's on the other side, and I want you to imagine what was going on inside his spirit. Because what he expected to see was a small valley, and then the river. The, again, that would get him to the Pacific Ocean. Instead of seeing that, Lewis becomes the first American citizen to see the Rocky Mountains. Lewis realized that before they could get to the easy part, that they were going to have to climb the Rocky Mountains. And, and can you imagine... I mean, can you imagine, I mean, what do you say when you return, what do you say to your team at that point? You're going to have to strap on the equipment and all your gear, and you're going to have to climb. You don't know how long you're going to have to climb for. You do not know what you're going to face, or even what's on the other side of these mountains. This adventure, climbing the, the uncharted Rocky Mountains, they would have to dig deeper than they knew they could. They would have to get more creative. They would have to solve problems. They would have to find the reserve and the strength. And they would find that they didn't even know they had it. And because they were able to climb the Rockies, when you read about their life, they, they're filled with an unbelievable amount of confidence after that. I mean, the challenge of the Rockies... I think, does that to the spirit. Now, of course, they had no idea. I mean, this side of the Rockies, they had no idea. All they knew was they thought 
they were home free, and they still had the biggest mountain that they had ever seen to climb. Now, here's the truth. We all face rocky mountains in our lives. You know, you walk through that doorway, and it's the great unknown. I mean, it might be financial pressures. It might be a a relational challenge. It might be a, a vocational difficulty or a spiritual problem. But when you hit the Rockies, see, what happens next? This is where things get very, very interesting. There's a whole field of research that uh, it's in the social sciences. And it's a study of what they call resiliency. You know, they've studied people that have been dealt, that, that have dealt with this deep, deep trauma in their life. They, they studied people like prisoners of war uh, that were subject to brainwashing and all kinds of other horrific things. They, they studied people that have been in hostage situations, people that had been through uh, very traumatic accidents in their life. And many of them, you might expect, were defeated. They, they came to that mountain range in their life, and they experienced a loss of hope. They became withdrawn. They, they isolated themselves. They felt defeated. The vast majority lost heart. They lost that vital optimism. It just, it just faded. It was gone. But there was a small portion, people that had faced very, very difficult times. And these individuals are characterized by what the research, researchers called having a resilient spirit in their life. As they face these extreme challenges and pain and problems, there was a fierce sense of independence in them. This passion kind of kicked in and said, I will not give up. And what they did, they found themselves continually searching for possibilities. You know, moving toward action in their life, finding creative solutions for things. If, if one thing didn't work, they'd try something else, and they just kept working it. And they would find them, themselves with this attitude and this spirit to persevere. And that attitude, they found, actually enlarged their capacity to handle whatever the problem was. So when they faced a difficult situation, not only did they survive, but they grew. I mean, why do some people, when they face the Rockies, get defeated, fall down and just go home? And yet others, when they face that same challenge, not only do they persevere, but they grow and they grow stronger. You know, there, there's kind of a, a core, um, these certain core themes that kind of bubbled to the top in the research and the study of these people that displayed this unbelievable resiliency. And they found it, as I was reading it, I thought, you know, it is very consistent with the stories you find in Scripture, with the teachings that you find in Scripture about people that have a resilient faith. And, and here's the great news today. These are skills that we can develop in our lives. And so what I want to do is look at what do resilient people do? And 
I hope by looking at it, we can then go, okay, I can pursue that kind of optimism in my life, that I can go after it. So the first thing optimistic people do is they take responsibility for hope. They take responsibility for hope in their life. The, the fact is that I know as I say that, some of you right now, in your mind, you're going, okay, so you're going to talk about optimism, fine and dandy, but you do not know what I've been through. You, you don't have a clue what, what happened. You don't know how unfairly I was treated at work or how horrible my, my, my life's been, you know, how, how horrible my upbringing was. You, you have no idea how bad my marriage is, how much I've suffered. You don't know how many of my dreams have just been shattered. And friends, I want to say to you, you're right, I don't. I don't have a clue. Nobody knows the unseen scars, the unseen wounds and hurts and disappointments, that stuff that's kind of marred your heart. The fact is, nobody knows. But God knows. Now, here's what I do know. Some of you, and if you don't take anything else home today, take this. I know that people who live with a habit of hope in their life live better lives than those that live with a habit of despair. You know, people who live with hope in their heart tend to live closer to God. People that that live with hope in their heart tend to live lives that are more faith-filled. They're more likely to, to get up in the morning and face the day with the anticipation of what, what's ahead, with the anticipation of what's tomorrow. They're more likely to experience joy and gratitude along the way. People who cultivate a habit of hope live better lives than people that cultivate despair. But it's a choice. It's a choice. And I know for some of you, this is going to be a challenging thing. I mean, maybe you received a a cranky gene from your parents, okay? I mean, I get that. And the fact is, for some of you, maybe you're going to have to fight against that negativity. But friends, today I want to tell you, fight. Fight, because you are responsible for your optimism in life. It is not the responsibility of your mom and dad. It's not the responsibility of your brothers or sisters. It's not the responsibility of your spouse, your, your friends, your neighbors. It's your responsibility. It's a choice you have to make. You have to make it. You've got to stop waiting for something to come along to fix it, some circumstance or some job or some person to come along and rescue you. It's your responsibility. I remember when my girls were uh, little, I remember watching the movie uh, Snow White with them. And don't get me wrong, it's it's a cute movie. But I remember as I watched that movie that I couldn't help but think, you know, this is kind of a poor role model for my girls. I mean, here's this woman, she's, she's hiding from a horrible stepmother. She takes a menial job working for seven really odd guys. I mean, one of them's very grumpy. (laughs) And she's sitting around passively waiting to get rescued, singing, 
Someday my prince will come. Friends, I wanted my girls to know to never do that. I wanted them to know that if they were ever in that kind of situation in their life, to take it on. You know, to confront their stepmother face to face and tell her to come to terms with the aging process and that you were not going to be the fall guy for her neurosis, you know. To tell the seven bachelors that they need to mature. They need to pick up after themselves and that you're not their mom. (laughs) And stop waiting for the prince to come and rescue you. You know, instead, I wanted them to build deep relationships, to find meaningful work in their life, to do good, to take risks, to live with with a passion, to be God-honoring. And when it was time to choose a prince, that I would pick him out for him. (laughs) (laughs) Friends, when you face the Rockies, and you will, we all do, Some of you are facing them right now. There is a choice that you have to make. And it's a choice that you make all the time, every day. And it's a choice between hope and despair, between life and death. You know, it it is a hope that, that you chase. It's a choice between trusting God... And believing that all things are possible or giving in to despair, defeat. Friends, when you choose hope, it breathes life. When you choose hope, it builds your character. I believe it prepares you for eternity. Every time you choose despair, Every time you look at the Rockies and you allow the Rockies to defeat you in life, every time you quit, you make it more likely that a smaller and smaller mountain will defeat you the next time. And friends, if you quit enough times, at some point you don't even launch out into the journey anymore. You just quit living. But it's a choice we all have to make. We all have to make it. And friends, this is where Christian hope is different than a positive attitude. See, a resilient faith makes the choice to put their hope in God, in a good and all-powerful God, to to place that hope. You know, a God that, that made you that makes himself available to you, a God that that can help you with whatever it is that you're facing. See, the Apostle Paul knew the importance of, of having that kind of hope. He writes this in Romans, he says, May God, the source of our hope, fill you with all joy and peace by means of your faith in him, so that your hope will continue to grow by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, I don't know what challenge you're facing today. I do not know what obstacles are in your way, what problems you're having to deal with. But here's what I do know. I know you're a child of God. I know you were created in God's image. I know that the hope is there and that God's waiting to help you. And I know that when you hope, 
it always, always leads to a better life. Always. Here's the second thing. Optimistic people accept failure as absolutely essential to the learning process. I heard about a uh, ceramic teacher that uh, divided the class into two groups, and they got to pick what group they wanted to be in, but half the class was going to be graded on the quantity of stuff that they did. So if they did 50 pounds of bowls and vases and what have you, they'd get an A. If they did 40 pounds, they, they would get a B and so on down, down the road. The other half of the class was going to be graded on quality. They were to only make one pot or one vase or bowl or whatever. But it had to be really good. End of the semester, a very strange thing happened. All the best quality pieces were made by the quantity group. See, this wasn't their aim. Uh, Apparently, as the quantity group kept churning stuff out, at first they made some bad pots. But each time they made a bad pot, they learned something, and they learned from their mistakes. And so what happened was the quality got better and better and better until finally they were making some pretty good pots and bowls and stuff. The quality group, most of them got paralyzed by a fear of failure. They were trying to reach perfection with that one piece. And in the end, most of them had one just bad piece. The ones willing to embrace failure learned from their failures. And eventually, they were kind of able to overcome those failures. And friends, it's the same thing in life. It's that way in work. It's that way when you're acquiring a new skill, when you're learning to communicate. It's that way in parenting and in marriage and in ministry. The the fact is, some of you, you try something really difficult, what happens? You fail. You will fail along the way. You will face challenges along the way. You will get knocked down from time to time. You will fall on your face, but you get back up and you learn from it and you grow. Proverbs says this, the godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. I love scripture because it, it just speaks the truth. You know, the writer doesn't say that the godly never fall. No, he says they fall. They fall a lot. They fall again and again and again and again and again and again and again. But they keep getting up. Why? Because they have a God, a God who offers mercy, a God who offers grace, a God who offers strength and power. But, but the wicked are brought down when things spin out because they don't have a God to pick them up. They don't have hope. I mean, there's no hope. You will fail at work. You will fail in relationships. You will fail financially. You will fail socially. You will fail spiritually. We all fail in areas of our life, sometimes multiple areas of our lives. 
But the difference between being resilient and caving in is how you respond to the failure. You know, there's two things I always ask myself after a failure. And that is, I ask God, what is it that you want to teach me? There's always something. Always something. Sometimes uh, it may be God trying to build my character or my patience or my trust or my perseverance. But I always ask that. What do you want to teach me? And this one's closely related, but what can I learn from this? And again, always something that I can learn. It may be as simple as not going to do that again, you know. But there's always something to learn. Here's the third thing that resilient people do. They do a reality check on a regular basis in their life. A reality check in relationship to to their hope. There's an old uh, cavalry saying that they say, when your horse dies, dismount and saddle another. I assume that's for really dumb cavalry people, but... uh, (laughs) Friends, when a dream dies, dismount and saddle another. Resiliency, friends, is not, it's not the same as denial. It's not clinging to the past. It's not foolish stubbornness in life. Now, for instance, if you're still holding on to stock from Etzel... If you're still holding on to your eight-track tapes thinking they're going to make a comeback. If you're waiting for that special girl or guy from high school to ask you out and it's your 50th class reunion, let it go. The horse is dead. (laughs) Sometimes in life, we need a hope adjustment. Friends, there are times you must face the fact that a certain hope will not be realized. See, resilient people, they do a reality check once in a while. And sometimes it means grieving something, maybe grieving deeply. But somehow, you have to do that reality check and not lose the ultimate hope in God in the process. Years ago, a guy that I was pretty close to, uh, he, he liked this girl for several years. And um, I remember him coming to a point, and it was a pretty uh, poignant conversation, but he, but he said, you know, I really like her. I mean, she's amazing, but she doesn't like me. I don't think she's ever going to like me. She just wants to be friends. And I remember him saying, I got to let it go. And I thought, this is good. But then he continued, he goes, you know, I, I guess love will always be an illusion in my life. You know, I better get used to living alone. See, at first, it sounded like a good reality check. But there was kind of this undercurrent of of self-pity in it. I mean, he didn't come to a point where he said, I don't think this is ever going to work out, but I know God's got a plan for my life. 
I know God has something good for me in my life. So I'm going to embrace life. I'm going to get up every day, and I'm going to fight for life, and I'm going to fight for joy. And even though this didn't work out, I'll continue to hope, who knows, maybe someday I'll find love. No, just an undercurrent of self-pity. You know, you kind of contrast that, and I've had many of these discussions through the years, but I remember talking to a woman, and she said her and her husband had been trying to have a child, and they were holding out hope that someday they would. But in the course of the conversation, she kind of poured her heart out. She goes, you know, we're hoping to have a child but it may not happen. Maybe someday. But maybe someday I've got to let this go. Now, I remember her talking about, she had cried a lot about this and just kind of the inner torment. But I remember her saying, you know, if that day comes, it'll be really hard. But I'm going to hold on tight. I'm going to hold tight to God and I'm going to trust that God can bring something good out of this. See, a true hope adjustment is grounded in a deeper hope and that's hope in God. The psalmist writes, he says, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? He knows why. He says, I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. See, resilient people, they do an honest reality check of where they are. But the litmus test, I mean, if you want to know if it's genuine reality check, is whether there's the presence of self-pity in it. Resilient people grieve. They acknowledge the loss. They adjust hope, but they do not do chronic, deadly self-pity. Another thing resilient people do is they learn to master the art of dealing with negative people. Now last week when we opened with this topic, I had a lot of conversations following that out in the atrium area and got emails through the week, had a, had a couple conversations in, in store um, And the number one question that people ask was, how do I deal with the negative people in my life? Friends, you've got to guard your heart. Always guard your heart. Negativity is a spiritual disease. It is contagious and it is deadly. You know, Proverbs says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. You know, negative spirit, it is infectious, and it spreads. How many of you have ever been at the airport during bad weather? (laughs) It's a great time, isn't it? I mean, planes start getting delayed, and then they start canceling flights, and the negativity, you can just watch it, it spreads. I mean, classic example in in Scripture, the, the children of Israel... They have been delivered from slavery in Egypt. They have seen God do amazing things, a lot of miracles they had seen. I mean, God sent the the plagues, and it resulted in Pharaoh freeing them. They'd seen God part the waters when the Egyptian army was 
barreling down on them. You know, they saw manna fall from heaven to, to feed the people. But when you read the story, there's this negative spirit, and it just keeps showing up again and again and again. At one point, the whole nation, Scripture says, was wailing. And they're like, oh, remember when things were really good? You know, back in Egypt, we had all the leek and garlic that we wanted to eat. We, we didn't have a problem back in those days. I mean, their complaining got so bad that they started looking at harsh slavery as something that was good in their life. And their negativity starts affecting Moses. I mean, Moses, he goes to God, and Moses kind of loses it at a point. He's talking to God, and he's like, did I give birth to these people? Seriously, are they my problem? I mean, this is too much. And and finally, he melts down. And he goes, if you're going to continue doing this to me, then kill me now. Yeah. (laughs) If you care about me, put me to death, and then I won't have any more problems. Wow, that's negative. (laughs) Friends, that's a dangerous prayer. You ever prayed something like that? Moses melts down. And and when I read it, I think, where did that negative spirit come from? Get this. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. I mean, Moses did one thing right in that situation. He goes to God, and God changes his heart. God revives his hope. The fact is, God can do that for you. Just a a little caution about dealing with negative people. Moses, he tried to deal with negative people, people that didn't want to be dealt with, and it doesn't go well for him. You know, when you're dealing with a negative person, Do not give them unsolicited advice. You know, if somebody's complaining and they're negative, maybe about their kids or their marriage or their job or some situation, whatever, don't just go to them and go, here, let me tell you 10 reasons for not whining. Because they'll give you 10 reasons why it won't work. It's almost like uh, they think you're trying to rob them of being a victim. And it's one of the most uh, provocative um, and maybe misunderstood uh, things that Jesus ever said was this. It says, don't give holy things to dogs and don't throw your pearls before pigs. Pigs will only trample on them and dogs will turn to attack you. I mean, what's Jesus saying there? I mean, what he doesn't mean is that your words are pearls and everybody else is a pig, okay? That's not the idea. The general idea is to speak when it's helpful, when it's beneficial. See, pearls are not helpful to a pig. Pretty deep, isn't it? Ten years of schooling seminary on display for you this morning pearls are not helpful to pigs there are a lot of things that are helpful to pigs but not pearls unsolicited advice generally speaking is not helpful to a negative person 
So here's the deal. When someone goes negative, do not give them what they want. When, when somebody goes negative, do not go negative with them. Stay positive. When they go negative, do not try and point it out and, and fix their negativity unless they've asked you to play that role in their life. When they go negative, you watch for any opportunity where you can reinforce any sign of positiveness in their life. You have to limit the negative intake in your life somehow. You've got to limit it. And make sure that you keep your hope tank full. You've got to keep it full. And one of the ways you do that, you, you spend time with God. You spend time in scripture. You spend time with people that breathe life into you. I mean, one of the most important things you can do, we're, we're doing it here today, and that's worship God. See, when we worship, we worship to honor and give glory to God. That's why we're here. But there's a gift that we receive when we worship. It's hope. It's hope. See, worship's about reorienting our minds and our hearts, you know, on God's goodness, on God's grace, on God's mercy. It's remembering that God's strong and powerful and faithful. It's looking on God's guidance and protection and love. And friends, when I worship, I remember just how amazing God is. In fact, I I do not believe you can sincerely worship God and not be filled with hope and not have your perspective changed. See, I think worship breeds life. It helps guard your heart. It helps protect it. Now, I started with the story of uh, Lewis and Clark. They're facing the the challenge of the Rocky Mountains. Edmund uh, Hillary was the first guy to ever climb Mount Everest. And when you read his history, he had several unsuccessful attempts to make it to the top. A lot of pain in his life, a lot of failures and frustrations. He was defeated several times. And at one point, he writes in his journal, he says he was at the base of Mount Everest. And he spoke to the mountain. And he says, someday, I'm going to climb you, mountain. And I'll tell you why. Because you're as big as you're ever going to get but I'm still growing. Friends, I do not know what mountain you're trying to climb today. Maybe it's a small mountain. You know, maybe it's a rocky-sized mountain. Maybe it's Mount Everest. I don't know. But I know one thing. You know, Jesus said, with people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are what? 
possible. Friends, if God is with you, if God is really with you, you're still growing, you're still learning, and all I can say to you is you keep climbing. You keep climbing. Because hope, the possibility, it's the only way you get to the top. Let's stand and have a word of prayer together. You know, following... uh, our worship, uh, if you need prayer about something specific, you, you just want to come up, you, do, you don't have to spill it all out if you just want to say, pray for me. I'm, I'm facing a mountain in my life. Let, a, let us pray for you. You know, with God, with God, all things are possible. Our holy God, I know there are those here today that They're facing mountains. It may be a mountain in their marriage. It may be a mountain at work, a mountain with their kids. Maybe it's a health mountain. Maybe it's a spiritual battle. God, whatever it is, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak hope into their life. God, truly with you, all things are possible. God, I know I speak for many here today that we faced mountains and you got us to the top. You got us through. Moved us from defeated to victorious. I also know that uh, you've been with us when we've had to make readjustments. Our hopes, our dreams, something shattered. But God, the one thing absolutely clear on is when I place my hope in you. You always come through. God, I pray that we would find our hope in you, that you would be our hope, our salvation. God, we give you all these mountains. And we give you the glory this day. God's people said, Amen.